Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Special for Bell Divers Sunday. And so if you are joining us today for the first time, a big warm welcome from my side on behalf of everyone who calls this place home. We are delighted to have you with us. Just make yourself at home and enjoy your time together with us today. And of course, as always, want to say a big warm welcome as well to all the Rocks family and friends joining us online from wherever you might be in the city and in the world. Glad to have you with us and feel free to drop us a comment in the thread. Let us know where you're joining us from, how things are going in your world. And if there's anything we can do to help, just DM us and uh, we'd love to do what we can to come alongside you. So, For the benefit of those who are brand new to the Rocks family, and I guess to refresh the memories of those who have been around uh, for a while, let me just take a moment to uh, tell you about the fall campaign, which we launched a couple of years ago in recognition that while the church has for 2,000 years been celebrated and appreciated for many good things that it is and does, uh, unfortunately, in our contemporary society, the church is perceived quite negatively by the majority of non-Christian people. And there's lots of good recent research to bear this out, that the vast majority of non-Christians would consider the church to be judgmental, hypocritical, and homophobic. That's pretty much how they would sum us up, which is rather unfortunate, because I think you'll agree that's exactly what we're not. And so we realized that in order to be effective in our mission and reach the world with the goodness of God and the grace of God, we're going to have to change that perception. And part of what we need to do is be known for what we are for, not what we are against. And while on the one hand, that kind of, you know, automatically implies the other. If you you say one, you kind of imply the other. It's about where the intention lies and it's where the focus is. And so we want people to know that God is for them, not against them. And consequently, we are for them, not against them. Uh, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I guarantee you, he is not sending us into the world to condemn the world either. He is sending you and I into the world because He loves the world and He wants to redeem the world and to save the world. And He wants the world to know that there is a God who loves them and cares about them and has great intention for them and great plans for their future. And God cares about them. And so do we. So we are for the city of Perth. We are for the suburb of Cannington. And we are for the suburb of Baldivis. Uh, we are for their businesses. And we are for their families, and we are for their communities, and we're for their schools, and we're for their children. We're for everything they are for, and we want them to know that they are loved by God. And so to that end, uh, across any given year, we have a range of different projects and activities and events that uh, allow us as a church to give, pray, serve, and love so that our community might know there is a good God who loves them and is for them. Now, about four years ago, we launched a new location down in the suburb of Baldivers, which is kind of southwest of us, just north of Rockingham. And it's a booming suburb. There are thousands of young families moving into that area, houses going up all over the place. And we have a wonderful property in that location. It's uh, on a main road. It has excellent visibility. It has great accessibility. Uh, There is a wonderful congregation that is gathering there now of about 120 people who who call that place home. And there is an enormous opportunity in front of us down in that part of the world. But the building that we are currently in there is quite old and it's quite small. 
And so if we're going to maximize the full potential of the opportunity that's in front of us, then we need to do some work on the building. We need to expand it. We need to improve it. We need to make it uh, kind of comfortable and accessible and warm and inviting, kind of like the space that we're getting to enjoy today. And so to that end, we have begun to renovate the space, and the project is well underway. The works have already started, and the entirety of the cost of that project is going to be $700,000. Now, I know when I say that figure, for some of you, that's like, whoa, that's a lot of money. How on earth are we going to get that kind of paid for? And for others of you, that's like the value of the fifth property in your portfolio. It's like, you know, it's, it's nothing to you, right? So I get that we're all at kind of different stages of capacity financially, and, and a figure like that might mean different things to different people, but that's the cost of the project. And so that is what we are seeking to raise. Now, there are a couple of important things that we want to say about that. And the first is this, that we are in this for the long haul. But that does simply mean that the Four Bell Divers initiative is not a weekend focus. It's not a month-long campaign. We are in this for the long haul. Bell Divers is not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And so we are Four Bell Divers today, and we're going to be Four Bell Divers every day until the day Jesus returns or we die to go to be with Him in heaven, right? And I'm saying that because while we are seeking to raise $700,000, we do not need to raise $700,000 today. I don't know about you, but that should be a relief, right? Now, it would be wonderful if we did. It would be pretty amazing. It would be somewhat miraculous, and it would be certainly deeply inspiring if we raised the entirety of that amount in a single day. But we're not anticipating that that is the case. We're in this for the long haul, and what we are doing today is we are hitting the stop button, and we are beginning the process of giving, and we're going to commit to continuing to give until the task is done until the job is finished, until the money is raised. And partly why I'm saying that is because we are very much aware of the fact that we have just come off the back of our Be Rich campaign, uh, during which you were all incredibly generous, and for that we are deeply grateful. And we're conscious of the fact that Christmas is literally a month away, and we have just had the 13th interest rate increase in 15 months, and we're probably going to get another one before the end of the year. So we're under no illusions about the fact that this is an incredibly stressful time for many people financially. And for a lot of you, you are already in the stretch and feeling the stretch. And we don't ever want anyone to feel pressured into giving uh, above what they are able or willing to do at any given point in their lives. We want you to know that. And that's why the second thing we want you to know is that the goal here is not just to raise $700,000 but to do so with faith in our hearts and with joy in our hearts and with peace in our hearts and with gratitude in our hearts. Because we believe that the Bible is crystal clear about the fact that how we give and why we give are infinitely more important to God than what we give. Right? God wants us to give and He wants us to give generously, but God wants us to give willingly and freely and joyfully and gladly, not grudgingly or of necessity, God wants us to give with faith and expectation in our hearts because we understand the value of giving, because we know the fruit and the effect of that giving, and because we're excited about what it is that we're giving to. And if you've been around the rocks for any length of time, you will know that we are not into coercing and manipulating and guilting people into parting with their hard-earned dollars. We want you to give because you understand the power and the purpose of giving. We want you to give because there's faith in your heart. We want you to give because you feel excited about what it is you're giving to. And we want you to give with joy and with gratitude inside of your heart. Because how we give and why we give, infinitely more important to God than what we give. And so in a very real sense, this four Baldivis offering that we're going to be receiving today is what we call a free will offering. 
That's how it's kind of described in the Scriptures. And when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that there are patterns and principles that encourage the people of God to give into the life of the faith community to which they belong as a way of sharing the burden of that shared life together as a faith community. But every now and again, there are moments and events and occasions when God calls upon His people to give over and above their regular giving. So the giving that we give to our faith community as a way of sharing the burden of being a faith community ought to be generous and it ought to be consistent and regular. But every now and again, there's need for a free will offering, a voluntary offering over and above our regular giving for the sake of a particular project. And in Scripture, we see that could be anything from building a temple to providing for uh, famine-affected uh, believers in a, in a time of drought and, and of, of lack and need, right? So what I want to do today is I want to share some thoughts with you from out of the Word of God that come to us from just one of these uh, examples of a free will offering that is uh, exemplified in the life of King David and the nation of Israel, Old Testament Israel. And if you know anything about your Bible, you'll know that David was one of the most celebrated and appreciated rulers in Israel during its kind of golden era or its golden period. And there's a particular example of these free will type offerings in First Chronicles chapter 29 that I want to throw the spotlight on today. Now, before we read together, let me just take a moment to set the scene and just give you some of the backdrop and explain what's going on so what we read makes sense. Uh, at this point in time, David is on the throne and he's ruling, but he's nearing the end of his life. And he is about to step down as king and he's going to hand over the reins of responsibility to his son Solomon. And so David and all the leaders of Israel and a large crowd of people have gathered in Jerusalem for the coronation of King Solomon. And David is about to hand the baton of leadership to his son and a step away. In addition to this, the nation is also about to embark on the single biggest building campaign that they have ever undertaken, and that is the building of the temple. And this was something that was in David's heart to do for a very long time. He had always said he wanted to build a temple for God. But God said, David, you're a man of war. There's blood on your hands. I'm not going to let you do that. But I will get your son Solomon to build the temple. And so David said, all right, God, if I can't be the builder, then I will be the gatherer. And so David, as one of his last kind of acts as king, set about on a nationwide campaign to raise resource for the building of the temple. And they collected gold and silver and wood and stone and material and everything needed for the construction of the temple. And by the end of this nationwide campaign, they had pretty much raised everything they need. And so David stands up on this very special occasion, this very significant moment, the coronation of his son Solomon, and he delivers a speech about everything going on in the life of the nation. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3, he says something incredibly profound and important for us today. And we're going to read that together. But let's pick it up in verse 1 for the sake of context. Right, so 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. It says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, but for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, 
I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. Sounds like a pretty special building, doesn't it? I wouldn't mind seeing a 3D fly-through of that particular setup. And he goes on in verse 3 to say, and here it is. This is where I want to focus. He says, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have given to the house of God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house from my own special treasure of gold and silver. And the first thing I want you to notice there is what David says at the beginning of the statement. He says, moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of God. And I love that phrase, I have set my affection. Because it implies intentionality and purpose. When you set your affection on something, you deliberately and thoughtfully take the love that you feel for that something or that someone, and you direct it towards them in action. Affection is just love turned into action. So for example, I love my wife, but because I love my wife, I set my affection upon my wife. I give her hugs and I give her kisses and I give her neck rubs and back rubs and I massage her feet and I stroke her hair because I love her, so I set my affection on it. I love my kids, so I set my affection on my kids. Now my kids are teenagers. So they're not as open to receiving my displays of affection as they were when they were smaller. Like the best I can get out of my 18-year-old son is maybe a fist bump and a high five and maybe a shoulder bump and occasionally on very special occasions a hug, right? My daughter's a lot more affectionate, so she likes to receive the affection and her favorite thing is a foot massage. So she'll often just plonk herself down on the couch, kick her feet up onto my lap and say, Dad, you know what I could do with right now? And I say, yeah, I know, foot massage, right? And so I massage her feet, but I'm willing to do that Because I love her, and so I set my affection on her. Now, there are many things in life that we love, and so consequently many things that we set our affection on. So, for example, parents, you know, you love your kids, and so you're going to set your affection on your kids. But you also love your pets, and so you set your affection on your pets, right? Uh, If you are African like me, then your pet may look something like this. Where is it? Or possibly... Something like this, (laughs) all right? Of course, we don't just love our kids and our pets. Some people, sadly, love themselves. And so all they do is set their affection on themselves. And others love their possessions, and so they set their affection on their possessions. Anybody married to a man like that? right? So so we, we have a wide range of things that we love and that we set our affection on. The question is, have you set your affection on the house of God? Have you, like David, learned to love the house of God by setting your affection on the house of God? When you read the life and story of King David, it becomes apparent that David had a deep love for God. But that love for God translated into a love for the house of God. In fact, David's love for the house of God was nothing less than an extension of his love for the God of the house. David understood that the two go together. If you're going to love God, then you're going to love what God loves, and God loves his house. And so David loved God by loving the house of God. Now, that little phrase, house of God, is interesting because in the Old Testament, it always referred to a place. It was always a place where God would manifest his presence to meet with his people. So it began as a very basic, very simple little tent 
a place called the Tent of Meeting, which the Israelites used to carry with them through the wilderness while they were traveling um, in, in, in Sinai en route to the land of Canaan. And that little Tent of Meeting eventually then became a far more elaborate tent called the Tabernacle, which was nevertheless still like a portable temple, but that was the house of God. That's where God met with His people. And then when they did move into Canaan, they built a more permanent fixed feature out of mortar and stone and brick called the temple, and that was the house of God. So in the Old Testament, the house of God is always a place. But when we cross over into the New Testament, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the house of God is no longer a place. It becomes a people. The house of God is a community. It's a family of men and women who pledge their allegiance to Jesus and put their faith and confidence and trust in Him and become the people of God and the house of God. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, he says, Together, believers, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ Himself. We are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles also are being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. So you are the house of God. I am the house of God. Together, as the community of faith who love and follow Jesus, we are His house. So the question is, have you learned to love the house of God? It's one thing to say, I love God. It's another thing to say, I love the house of God. You see, you can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't care about the church. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, hey, you love me, you love my gang. That's how it works. You're going to love God, you're going to love what God loves, and God loves His house, and God loves the church, the community of those who are called by His name. And so we, like David, have got to recognize that if we're going to love God faithfully, then we have to love what God loves, and God loves His house. And inevitably, that love for God's house is going to translate into giving to God's house. And that's why First Chronicles 29 verse 3, David goes on to say, Because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have given to the house of God. Right? David understood that if you're going to love the house of God, that's ultimately going to translate to giving to the house of God. Why? Because that's what love does. Love gives. You cannot love someone or love something without giving of yourself to that someone or something. It might be time, might be energy, might be attention, might be material or financial resource. But if you love someone or something, you are going to give to that someone or that something. That's just love, how love works, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Love gives. See, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That is just the way it works. So David may have communicated his love for the house of God in word through his psalms and his poems and his songs, but he demonstrated his love for the house of God indeed through his giving to the building of the temple. And why is that so important for us to understand? Well, because, friends, you and I need to realize if we're going to faithfully love God in this New Testament dispensation of grace in which we live, that means loving the people of God, loving the community of faith, loving the church. And ultimately, that's going to require giving to the church. And it's important for us to realize in a campaign like this, the Fort Baldivis Initiative, that we are not just giving to a building. We are loving a people. We are loving a faith community through our giving. We are loving the house of God. And ultimately, if we're going to give to the house of God, that's going to require sacrifice. And that's why in 1 Chronicles 29.3, David goes on to say, he says, Because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have given to the house of God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house from my own special treasure of gold and silver. And friends, this is what I love about King David, 
about his heart and about his attitude and about the way he understood life in the kingdom of God. Because David was saying, you know what? After conducting this nationwide campaign, we have raised everything we need. We have all the resources. It's already there. But for David, that wasn't good enough. David said, you know what? I want to be personally invested in this. It's not enough for me just to be involved. I want to be invested. And so in addition to everything that I've raised through this nationwide campaign, he says, I am going to give to this temple from out of my own personal private treasure. And it says, he says this, you can read it in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, I'm giving 112 tons of gold, 262 tons of refined silver from out of my own personal treasure. Now, who is going to follow my example? Wow. It's great leadership right there. And the Bible says that all of David's leaders followed the example that he set and they gave out of their own personal private treasures an additional 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, and 3,750 tons of iron. Wow. And friends, here's what I love about it. And this is what I personally find so inspiring. David knew that he would never get to see that building. He would never get to worship in it. He would never encounter the presence of God in it. But he knew that his son would. And he knew that his grandchildren would. And he knew that there would be generations of Israelites who would come after him, who would get to encounter the presence of God in that space. And for David, that was enough. That was enough to warrant the sacrifice. That was enough for him to say, I want to invest in this. I want to be involved. I may never see it, and I may never get to enjoy it, but it's not about me. It's about those who are coming after me. It's about what they're going to experience and what they're going to receive. And friends, the reason why that is so relevant and so pertinent to us today is because here we sit, you and I, as members of the Cannington family. And for the vast majority of you, you are likely never to see bell divers. It's highly unlikely that you're ever going to go there or worship there. Now, it would be a good thing to do. It would be a good thing for you to go down, meet the family down there and see what God is doing, pay them a visit. But in all probability, given this is your home, this is where you're going to worship, this is where you're going to be. But today is not about us. It's not about us sowing into our own future. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our convenience. It's not about the opportunity in front of us. It's about our family in Baldivis. It's about our brothers and sisters. And it's about the opportunity that's in front of them. And today is about us loving that part of God's house called the Roxbell Divers. Loving that community, that part of our family, those brothers and sisters in Jesus. That is what today is all about. And if you, like David, have a kingdom mind and, and, and a generous heart, then you'll understand that whether you get to see it or not is irrelevant. Whether or not you get to enjoy it is beside the point. There's something bigger going on here. There is something more important. And that is the kingdom opportunity that is represented down in Baldivis. Now, friends, this morning, this is what's going to happen next. In just a moment, I'm going to kind of lead us through our giving moment. And the band are going to lead us in worship as we do. And we're going to have an opportunity to 
give and to pray and to invest into the Bell Divers family, into this initiative. But before we do that, we want to give you an opportunity to hear from the family down there through our campus pastor, Alistair, who's doing a wonderful job of leading that initiative and that community. And you're going to get a little glimpse into what has already started and what God is doing. And so I want to invite you to have a look at the screens. Let's enjoy this video together. And then I'm going to rejoin you and we're going to talk through our giving. Thanks. I am standing in what will be the foyer of our renovated Beldivis location. And I gotta tell you, this space already feels so incredible. And I'm so excited for all the stories that we are gonna hear that take place in this space. And you can see behind me, there's already been so much work that has taken place. We've knocked down some bricks, we've replaced some things. And these spaces that we're creating, we can make the mistake of believing that that's what it's about that the bricks and mortar that we've invested in to build this space is what's really important, but that's not true at all. For a very long time, the church has been known for what it's against, but we're doing this project because we want the city to know that we are for this city, that we believe that Valdivis can succeed. And so when we are undergoing this project, what we're really investing in is people. Because by creating this space, we are breaking down the barriers that are there for people to be able to engage with our church. And what that means is they are one step closer to being able to hear about the true love, mission, and vision of Jesus for this city. And so as we give today, we are not giving to bricks and mortar. We are giving to the people of Baldivas to make a place for them to meet and know Jesus. And so as we give today, let's give for Baldivas. Fantastic. Thank you, Alistair. And what an incredibly exciting opportunity for us to all be involved in. Now, what's going to happen next is this. When you came in, you would have found um, a card on your seat that looks like that. And a brochure, there's an additional giving card inside the brochure. And what we want you to do is to take that card now and have a look at it. You may have kind of scanned it already and you may have even completed it already. But if not, what we're going to do is give you a few minutes to have a conversation. If you're here together as a family or a couple, maybe talk about what it is God might be prompting you to give and to do um, as part of this initiative. If you already know, then go ahead and start to fill out that card. Uh, please provide us with uh, as much personal detail as you're willing to share with us at the top of the card. And then you'll notice that there are two giving options. There's a regular monthly giving option, and then there's a one-off uh, giving option. So you just pick which is right for you and then complete that. And then notice that there are several ways in which you can give. You can give today via direct debit. Uh, via credit card. You can use the Tithely app, which is the giving platform that we use for our regular giving. And you can give via bank transfer. Now, in just a moment, when everyone has completed the card, we're going to invite you to come on down to the front and to place this card representing you or your family uh, into the giving boxes that are down in the front. And we would love you to come down together as a family. If you're here uh, as a, a family or as a couple or as a group of friends, even if you're putting one card into the basket that represents you as a family or a couple or a group, then we'd love you to come down together just as a sign of unity and of our shared commitment to this opportunity in front of us. And don't for a moment underestimate the value of your giving. You see, some of you will be sitting here today, and for you, these types of opportunities are what you live for. God has given you the ability to create wealth, and He has blessed you abundantly, and you have massive financial capacity. And so for you, giving into 
an initiative like this is something you love to do, you do it regularly, and you do it well, and you give generously. For others of you, the reality of your personal financial situation right now is that it's a big stretch. And giving anything today is going to be a step of faith for you. And you might feel that what you have to give is so small that it's inconsequential. But I want to encourage you not to think like that, right? Because at the end of the day, every mighty river, every large lake, every raging ocean, at the end of the day, is just a collection of tiny little water droplets. And every single droplet makes a difference. And if we all stopped giving because we felt like our giving was only a drop in the ocean, well, where would we be? So don't for a moment underestimate. It might be $20 or $30 or $50 a month or whatever the case may be. And you might feel like that's inconsequential. I guarantee you it is not. And bear in mind, it's not about the what. It's about the why and it's about the how. That is what God cares about most. And if Scripture teaches us anything, it's that God is able to take what we give and to multiply its impact beyond anything we could hope, imagine, or think. So don't underestimate the size of your gift. Your gift is valuable and necessary. So the band are going to lead us in song now. I want you to remain in your seats, and I want you to take the time you need to complete those cards. I'm going to rejoin you in just a moment to pray over our giving, and then I'm going to invite you to come on down to the front. So come on forward, band, and lead us in song, and you take a moment to finish those cards, and I will rejoin you shortly. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit the rocks dot church